This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 350. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your 350th episode host, Riley Bowman. And I have with me also the 350th episode podcast producer extraordinaire, Matthew Marister. What is up, buddy? Hello, hello. What's up, man? For a second, I thought like I had echo or something turned on. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> What's up, dude? Nothing, man. Nothing. Just running around and we had to postpone the start of the podcast, but I uh, appreciate you working with my schedule. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we're here and we're live, live on Facebook, that is. And uh, we, we bring to you yet, I, I got to keep, I got to switch the lingo, okay? We're bringing to you yet another episode of the PewCast. See nice. what I did there? Yeah, the PewCast. Like All right, so if you are new to the, to the Concealed Carry PewCast, <laughs> uh, by the way, my mother-in-law would be, she, if she was listening right now, she probably isn't. Occasionally she does, but I don't think she's listening right now. Uh, but uh, she, she, I was wearing a shirt once that said pew pew on it. And she's like, what's poo poo? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so she would totally be making fun of me if she heard me say the concealed carry pew cast. You mean the poo cast? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody might call it the poo cast. We have some haters <laughs> that don't like us, but... <laughs> Anita says, did Riley drink Red Bull today? He's so wired. No, not even close. I have had zero caffeine. <laughs> I'm just energized because a couple of reasons. Number one, this is the 350th episode. That's way better than caffeine. Uh, secondly, I've been waiting for like two plus hours for Matthew to get around to doing the show with me. So I'm just, you know, I'm <laughs> wired. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, I'm just really excited because it, it, 350 episodes, it's a, it's another benchmark. Uh, I'm just, I feel like I could pinch myself and wake up from a dream because when we, when we launched this project three and a half plus years ago, I didn't ever expect it to still be a thing and to still have people interested in watching and listening. <laughs> so, yes, thank you everybody for uh, being a part of this journey with us for a, some of you for a long, long, long time. I know we still have a few of you. Most of most of them we've run off, Matthew. Most of the first generation crowd, we've run them off because <laughs> the show started as one thing and you know it, we, it just got out of hand. And so they're like, we're done with you. So we ran off the early folks and and I don't know where we're at now, but uh, but the, the, the folks we have listening to the podcast now are the, are the coolest ever. Okay, I'm so joking. Uh, but no, seriously, uh, it's been, it's been a, a, an amazing journey. And I'm just thrilled to be here. So, all right. Um, Michael asks, hasn't seen me with a, with a beer heavy on the route in a while. And that's because I am, tr- I am trying to cut back my, my uh, soda consumption. And so I'm drinking water. In case you're wondering what's in the cup, it is water. It might be flavored water, but it's water. <laughs> it, this is just, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, that squirt stuff like Mio or whatever, right? You know, so. Mm. Ooh, lemonade flavor. Mm, that's tasty. I do love lemonade. Okay. All right. Let's get serious. Today's episode made possible brought to you by the concealedcarry.com online store. 
want to feature two products available in the store or right now. Well, they're available pretty much all the time, but we have some of them right now available in stock and we wouldn't mind moving some of that stock. So uh, a couple things. Uh, if you check out the Glock e-trainer, we are the exclusive North American continent, whatever, <laughs> uh, distributor for the Glock e-trainer. And so if you're a Glock owner, you should have a Glock e-trainer for dry fire practice. It is awesome. All right, because there's times when I want to do dry fire practice with my Glock and I want to still get trigger reps. But as you know, anybody that has a Glock or a striker fired pistol knows when you press the trigger once, you're done until you rack the slide. And I know there's the paper or cardboard cardboard trick that you can use to keep the trigger from resetting. Uh, but uh, you know what? The Glocky Trainer is a legit, it's a solid made from solid steel product. And of course it has some uh, some rubbery plastic, whatever stuff coated on it too, to protect your slide as you install it and, and remove it. Uh, but this is gonna keep your trigger resetting for you over and over and over again. You don't get a break, but that's okay. That, that, that's not the most important thing. There's times when we wanna do dry fire practice and not necessarily get a trigger break. We just wanna get those manipulations in and uh, make sure that we're not causing training scars because we're doing dry fire and we're not doing trigger reps or something like that, okay? so. Anyway, Glocky Trainer, available in the ConcealedCarry.com store. Also, the Maglula Uplula, which is, I, I don't have one here to show those that are viewing this live. Uh, so, like I was showing them the Glocky Trainer. But the Maglula Uplula product is like, you, you got to have it, all right? So, uh, I, I live and die by the Maglula Uplula. What that is, if you don't know, is a magazine loading helper <laughs> device, right? So basically it just helps you load mags and not tire out your fingers and thumbs as much. Uh, it works really well. I've tried a bunch of different products out there that are supposed to do the same thing. And none honestly work as well as the Maglula Uplula does. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And so, you know, we, Jacob and I, we, we believe in the product enough that we, you know, a, a number of months ago decided to start stocking it in the store. So they're here in the warehouse, ready to go out to you try to have a good you know, competitive price on them. Uh, anyway, get a Maglula Uplua because if you're like me and you like to shoot, this last weekend I went through 1,500 plus rounds in three days. Yeah, you get tired loading when you're lo reloading that often. So anyway, the Glocky Trainer and Maglula Uplua available in the concealedcarry.com store. If you want to go straight to the store, concealedcarry.com forward slash shop. We'll take you there. This episode, of course, uh, the, the Concealed Carry Podcast uh, is just one of the many ways that we put out free content and a bunch of great content uh, through concealedcarry.com. We also have some content that's special for members only. And if, what we have is the Guardian Nation membership option. If you, if you like the content we put out and you want more great content and some that's available only to a few select special people that care to give us a little bit of money on a monthly basis or quarterly or yearly, you can check out Guardian Nation. Go to guardiannation.com. And uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you can go to at Concealed Carry Inc., and the courses are YouTube channel. All right, so enough of that. Just have to get all the uh, little shout outs and mentions and all that stuff. And, and I have to remember that while we do have some loyal listeners that have been with us from the beginning and we do love you guys and appreciate you all, uh, sometimes we get new listeners for the first time. So if this is your first episode, that's why I mentioned some of that redundant stuff. 
for those of you that are longtime listeners. Today's episode is going to be actually answering some listener questions I have printed here. Hear that? Bunch of paper. Um, yes, I killed some trees. Sorry about that. But uh, it's easier for me to print these out and have them in front of me and and uh, go go through these one by one. So we have some listener questions that have come in recently. It's been a while since we did this. So, and you know what, Matthew, I'm calling an audible here and making an executive decision, uh, one that you as producer may not agree with, and I don't care. <laughs> one that uh, president and CEO and chief, you know, Jacob Paulson might not agree with, but I don't care. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm thinking that we should do listener questions. Like we should specifically have set aside the time to answer listener questions on the podcast once a month. Kind of like I how agree. we do some of these other things once a month. I think it's a good idea. So I'm thinking second, or not second, but third Tuesdays of the month, which we currently have listed in the schedule as a host choice. Uh, I'm kind of thinking maybe the third Tuesday of the month, we do listener questions. So folks, if you have questions, anything at all, we are here to help you in your own personal concealed carry journey. Or if you're further advanced, we're, we're here to help you with, with the more advanced stuff too. You can always email us, contact us, podcast at concealedcarry.com. That's the best way to reach the podcast. You can contact the Concealed Carry Facebook page or even message us through Instagram. But it's probably best if you just email us at at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Send us your questions, your, your thing, the things you're thinking about or wondering about or wanting to know, and we'll do our best in a future episode to get to those questions. Jim so. said you're going rogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim actually spelled things wrong there. He said he's going rouge, which is French for red. Uh, we know. We know. But we, but we know what you meant. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Jim. I'm with you. Alrighty. Kenny wants to know how many Guardian Nation members we have. We have almost a thousand. All right. Let's just say that much. We have almost a thousand. We actually had more at one time, but uh but sometimes you know people leave over time and they're missing out. And we're we're working to build things back up again. All right. So first question. This one's from somebody with the first name of J, not J A Y, but just I'm abbreviating him and keeping him anonymous. Uh, so he, he asked this question. With today's advancement in ammo technology, I'd like to hear a show about choosing the best self-defense ammo. Does it really matter from the cheap stuff to the mid-range to the top of the line? That would be an interesting show. Please don't get too technical with it. Just keep it simple. So Jay, actually JB is he, he announced or he uh, abbreviated his own name as JB. JB, if we did a whole episode on it, we would probably get too technical. So uh, to keep it simple, I thought, hey, let's make this our first question we answer as part of this question answering episode today. And so, yeah, let's, let's, I'm going to throw it at you, Matthew. I've been talking plenty. Uh, what, are, what, are, what, what are some of your first thoughts, the first things that come to mind when you think about selecting or choosing the best self-defense ammo for you? Yeah, the first thing I would recommend is uh, the the website luckygunner.com because they have done the most, I think, um, inclusive list of uh, studying different self-defense ammunition and gives it to you in a, in a form that you can really understand. And, you know, I guess when you ask about, you know, expensive versus cheap, 
there is something, you know, I mean, obviously self-defense ammunition is more expensive than, than, you know, your training full metal jacket. But, um, when you're looking at your self-defense ammunition, I wouldn't look so much at the cost because the costs are pretty similar. I would just look and see if it's, uh, if it penetrates consistently and if it, um, if it expands consistently. And if you have those two things, um, and you know, you're in nine millimeter, um, if you spend $5 more on, on a box of, you know, 25 rounds, um, you're probably not going to get much more money out of it. If they're, they're too, I mean, they're not going to be that much better of a round if they're both expanding the same and, um, and penetrating. And then it just comes down to, does that particular ammunition feed well in your gun? And you only know that once you start running it out of the range. So um, I think that would be the best beginning point and, and not to get too technical into like feet per second in this barrel versus this barrel and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you started, you know, the way you did, uh, especially mentioning the Lucky Gunner uh, resource, which is a fantastic resource. It's the most comprehensive, I think, resource that's out there available to the general public about a variety of different self-defense handgun rounds. Uh, now, I wish I could give a simple link for you to go to if, you want, if, you, if you're looking to go to this website and check it out. Probably the easy thing to do would be just Googling Lucky Gunner Ballistic Tests, I think, will probably get, you know, be like the first or second result, most likely in, in a Google search. And uh, what this is, is they've been for about three, four, almost four years now, actually, compiling different test results for 380 ACP, 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, 45 ACP, 38 Special, 357 Magnum, 10 millimeter auto and 357 sig. That's pretty awesome. That, that covers pretty much everybody for the most part, as far as uh, rounds that are carried typically for, for self-defense. And these are specifically geared around defensive loads, right? So uh, mostly of these are, are hollow points. I think they've started, I actually don't know for sure. I'm just going to take a quick peek. I think they may have started adding some of the non-traditional defensive loads, like sometimes referred to as external hollow points or rounds that have external flutes that are supposed to create similar wound tracks. And some people would argue bigger wound tracks than traditional hollow points. But the idea being that they should penetrate, you know, the same standard as far as that 12 to 18 inches as, as established by the FBI. Uh, so Lucky Gunner has just done a fantastic job, both in the way they present the information visually and in a simple, easy to understand format. And also that they're, they're, they're pretty thorough and they're also consistent. And that's mm -hmm. the really important thing. When we're, when we're comparing rounds, we want to be consistent. And so everything should be tested the same, right? Because it should be the same standard. And, and people sometimes wonder, okay, what is the standard and where did it come from? And why do we have that standard? Well, the FBI has had a ballistic testing lab for a couple of decades now, and it's, it's probably the world's best lab for testing terminal ballistics of ammunition. And the FBI, after you know, looking at a bunch of data, and, and, and the way this kind of would come about or the way this works is, let's say that you have a, a, a round, a a common one, one that's been carried by police officers because police officers 
are by and large those that are most likely to find themselves in a situation where they got to shoot somebody, right? With, with a defensive load. And so let's say that you have data of police involved shootings using a common police issued round, one that's been around for a couple of decades, like the gold dot, spear gold dot, been used by law enforcement officers for at least two decades, probably longer than that. I don't remember exactly when it was first, when it first came out. And it's still a great bullet. Uh, and let's say you have that data of how, you know, of all these law enforcement involved shootings and you see, okay, this many shots fired on human targets and here's the results. Okay. So we know that this was effective, but this wasn't effective. This worked. Okay. That didn't, this penetrated enough that didn't. Right. And you can compile all this data and from that go, okay, we've ascertained that based on real world evidence, we get certain levels of performance. And when we fire those same rounds into a ballistic testing medium, which they've selected this ballistic gelatin, 10% ordinance grade ballistic gel. And when they fire into that, when rounds penetrate between 12 and 18 inches in that medium, then we know that we have a pretty good idea that that round is going to perform on the streets well enough. I mean, reasonably well enough that we can expect it, it'll get the job done. It'll stop bad guys in their tracks, right? That's basically how you how the FBI, I mean, there's way more science and stuff that's gone into that, I, I'm sure. But, but, you know, keeping it simple, again, for JB's benefit, that's basically how we've gotten to where we are. So this 12, and this 12 to 18 inch FBI standard is a good standard because it continues to prove itself. Rounds that fall within those parameters continue to get the job done. Now, greater penetration than that, we're concerned about overpenetration. Overpenetration, we, we make more of an issue out of overpenetration than, than we probably should. But again, we, we don't need a round to overpenetrate. We need it to do a certain job. And if it does that job well, then we certainly, if there's no need to overpenetrate, then why should we, right? So, and, then, and basically what, what the standard is saying though is if it doesn't penetrate 12 inches in this t- ballistic testing medium, then it's not as reliable and not as consistently able to stop threats like we want it to, right? So 12 to 18 inches in ballistic gel, 10% ordinance grade, that's the standard. And it has been for some time now and it continues to be a good standard, right? So if you go to this Lucky Gunner Labs self-defense animal ballistic test page, you'll see how they've tested this, how they've presented that information uh, uh, visually, and you can make a lot of your own determinations from this. Now, I will tell you something though. They are using not 10% ordinance grade ballistic gelatin. They are using something referred to as clear ballistics gel, which is not a bad testing medium, and it is a consistent one. The problem is that clear ballistics gel is... Uh, it, it, I think rounds penetrate through a little more easily than 10% ordinance grade stuff. Okay. And so what I've been told by a few professionals, including an engineer that works for a major manufa- major manufacturer of ammunition is that they, they find that the clear ballistics gel allows penetration. It, it basically over uh, the results are overestimated or they're, they're, they're over, yeah, so they're 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 deeper penetrating than what they would be in ten percent ordinance grade stuff in the in the ten percent gel. 
So we should take that into account, I think, a little bit. So a lot of rounds we see here, I, I see quite a few that are right at the, like 18 and a half, 19 inch threshold. Those are probably still, maybe even 20, 20 inches is still acceptable um, in the clear ballistics gel stuff. If you see a round that's right on the fringe of 12, it's probably, it probably should penetrate a little bit more. And so I'll tell you one thing for sure. If we have a round that is, according to the clear ballistics testing, that is from say 14 or 15 inches up to 18 or 19 inches penetration, we're pretty, we should be pretty good. Okay. So I know that's a lot of verbiage, but I think it's important people understand how rounds are tested, why they're tested the way they are, um, what that tells us. Okay. And it makes no sense by the way, and it does nobody any good to say, well, this isn't reflective of Act, you know, shooting actual tissue. That's beside the point. The FBI has already established that if we penetrate 12 to 18 inches in the testing medium, that it, it, the, we, then what we find in the real world is that these rounds actually penetrate what, the way they need to to get the job done. So when you see these guys on YouTube and stuff that, you know, well, we're going to make this realistic and so we're going to use pork shoulder and pork butts and, you know, <laughs> stuff, you know, with, with, with skin, with pork skin and clothing over top of that and bones in there too. So we can see what these rounds really would do. Uh, that's really not necessary. And, and actually doesn't tell you a whole lot because the problem with that kind of testing is it can be very inconsistent, right? Inconsistency is important. When we're trying to establish standards. So, I mean, if you want to do that kind of testing and be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like this is what happens when this round hit a bone square on, you know, I'll tell you what happens when bullets hit bones when bolts hit bones straight on, it, the, the bolts don't do very good. <laughs> but uh, but we don't usually, I mean, there's plenty of self-defense shootings where there's more than one shot that's fired, right? So in theory, we don't hit that same bone in the same spot, or if we do, it's already been broken. You, you see what I'm getting at? So anyway, all right. So how do we choose the best round? Well, that's this is where we started, and this is kind of because we need to probably ought to move on. This is kind of where we're going to leave it. Go to luckygunner.com, search for their self-defense ammo ballistic test page, look at the data on there, see if it fits within that FBI standard. And again, keep in mind that, that they're using a medium that allows for a little bit greater penetration, 10 to 20% more, generally speaking. So maybe go with something that's in that, you know, 15 inch plus range, uh, maybe up to 20 inches on the, on the upper side. Uh, you know, if you see one that penetrates 26 inches, that's a problem. All right, that's that's probably too much. So that's that's what I had to say. I will say, based on my own research and experience, plus re, you know comparing this with the data on Lucky Gunner, that Federal HST Winchester Ranger T series, um, core or the uh, Spear uh, Gold Dot, like was mentioned. I mean, it's pretty hard to go wrong with any of those three rounds. The critical uh, defense and critical duty are okay. Uh, I think for the average citizen, critical defense is, you know, it comes with, there's, there's good and there's bad there. Some of them tend to expand a little too fast and not penetrate that much. Um, Critical duty is maybe a little tougher bullet than what most citizens need, but either of those probably will be okay. It actually does show the 115 critical defense is right there. Like, like that, at that 12 inch, you know, it's really 13.1. It says here, that's probably a little bit on the uh, light side as far as penetration. So 
based on their data here, you, you almost have to go with the critical duty. But anyway, but hard to go wrong with HST, Gold Dot, Winchester Ranger T, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So um, sorry if I went way too much into that and I didn't give Matthew any opportunity to really say anything else. But <laughs> no, I agree. I, I, I can't add anything to that. That's, that's totally right. So, okay. I, I agree on the, the, the brand as well. Yeah, yeah. All righty. So let's get to the next question here. That was a that was a doozy. But again, I, I didn't want to spend a whole episode on it. So we tried to cover that in a in an appropriate manner in uh, about ten minutes or so. All right. Handgun safety. So this is kind of an interesting question. Um, Travis asks. Muzzle awareness and trigger awareness are drilled into us from very early on, and rightly so. Why then is it okay when carrying concealed to carry in a manner that points the muzzle in a horizontal direction? What he's referring to is, example is, a concealed carry shoulder holster that puts the muzzle pointing directly behind you. Why is this okay? It points the gun at people behind you in the checkout line and those sitting directly behind you in church. What is your thought? Matthew, you want to take your first stab at that? Sure, sure. Um, so there's a couple of things. Like, first of all, I I agree that well, I'll I'll just say that shoulder carry, not just because of that, but is not a really great method of carry, but certainly there's application for it. Um, but outside of just the tactical or just the um, you know, that 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 it's not very practical for most people to carry that way, um, about pointing the the, the firearm, the the safety rules of, as far as do not point the gun, anything you not intend to shoot is more on the user of the gun. So telling you not to point the gun rather than not having the gun point at something. Uh, right. So, you know, if it's in your holster, no matter where you carry it, whatever type of holster you're carrying, there are going to be times that it's pointing either at you or somebody else. Um, and so that's just kind of inevitable. So that's why it's so important to have a holster that covers the trigger guard well and retains the gun. So the gun doesn't slide out, uh, doesn't fall out. It's it, nothing else can get into the, into the holster. Um, and so I think a good holster mitigates the, the problem of the gun actually pointing at somebody. Um, and certainly in, you know, the next step is when you're drawing it, yes, now you're pointing at something and that's just kind of something that you have to overcome. Um, there are certainly better methods of carry that reduce the, the amount of flagging or muzzling of other people as, as you draw. So um, that's one of the reasons why holster carry just, it's not tactically great. It's not very practical for most people. And when you do draw the, the firearm, you almost can't help but flag people, whereas strong side hip or appendix, um, you can have a little bit more muzzle control over the gun. So that's my two cents on it. Yep. So um, as far as the carrying, the actual carrying of the gun and the gun is in the holster and maybe it's pointing in directions while it's inside the holster that make you uncomfortable or that are muzzling other people or whatever, uh, as far as the actual carrying of the gun, I, I see no problem here, because as you've sort, as you as you've already touched on, Matthew, anytime you got a gun in a holster on your body, particularly inside a waistband, pretty much anywhere on your waist, it's pointing at something that 
we don't really want to get shot, right? If you're behind the hip, it's pointing at your butt cheeks. If it's on, on your hip, it's pointing right down your leg. If it's appendix carry, it's probably, you know, coverings, you know, the inside part of your leg or other things too, right? Uh, so shoulder holster might not necessarily cover your own body, but might cover other people. But when it's in the holster, the rules don't apply, okay? As far as safe muzzle direction and so forth, right? When it's in the holster, and this is, of course, is only true if it if the holster is a quality, safe holster, meaning that it meets the minimum requirements of the holster should have some measure of retention, right? Should retain that gun. The gun shouldn't, shouldn't just fall out, right? Uh, the trigger is protected, meaning that you can't access the trigger, you can't press the trigger, you can't fire that gun at all. If it, As long as it's in the holster, it's got to have that. The holster's got to stay on your body somehow. I prefer around the waist somewhere. So we got to have some means of it attaching to the waist, uh, all that stuff, right? And, and so, you know, so so again, besides the the gun shouldn't fall out of the holster, but the holster shouldn't also fall out of your pants or from wherever it is you're carrying, right? Those would all be problems. So, but the biggest number one most important thing to that holster is while the gun's in the holster, that trigger can't be accessed or used or manipulated. So as long as that is true, then the safety rules don't apply in that instant because I'm not handling the gun. I'm carrying the gun. There's a difference. The safety rules are rules when we are handling the firearm, right? So, yeah, I know that might be a kind of a strange thing to some people. And, and, and this usually comes up because someone's a relatively new concealed carrier. I was there once upon a time. I remember thinking this very thing myself, carrying a gun and being like, this is kind of strange. Like the gun's pointing there, you know, this one place, uh, and it's loaded, it's chambered or whatever, right? You know, so that, that is a, maybe that's an unfamiliar feeling and, and recognition of, you know, what's going on when, uh, when, when, when you're typically, when you're a newer concealed carrier, totally understandable. Just know that if you're using a good, decent quality holster, it should not be an issue. And, and, and we don't have to worry about that, right? As you touched on Matthew, we do need to be careful when drawing from some of these, I would say, lesser conventional carry positions like shoulder, uh, shoulder holster. We do need to be mindful about how we're drawing, okay? And I would advise working with a, a, a reputable, experienced instructor to get some repetitions and some practice and some instruction on drawing. It, you should do that, honestly, anytime you're learning to draw a gun. And anytime you're learning from a lesser conventional or non-conventional carry position, such as a shoulder holster. It is definitely one of those. An ankle holster will be another one. Uh, you should get some, I think, some some instruction time with somebody, okay? So um, you just need to be mindful of the technique that's used and where that gun is pointed because as soon as it leaves the holster, then you are responsible for the safety in you know as it relates to the use of that gun and, and holding and, and handling of that gun. And you got to be on point where, where it comes to that gun coming out of the holster. All right, next question. You ready? Yes, sir. Training gun on the cheap. All right, so and this is a fairly long email, so I'm not going to read it all. Um, but I, let me kind of cut to a part of it here. Uh, he's, he's basically talking about, you know, it, what can we do for uh, – for, he, he says training gun, right? So we're talking like a cert pistol or something to that effect. But he also talks about some budget pistols. Uh, so one, he says, one of my favorite budget guns is also an 
awesome dry fire tool due to its trigger, the Taurus PT-111G2, or now the newer G2C. When I first started buying guns, several of my first guns were Taurus firearms. While I have certainly heard some horror stories with models of yesteryear, I personally have had good experiences with all the guns I have, have or had. To that extent, I have carried my original PT-111 G2 for the last three years. Now, I, had, I once owned the original PT-111, and I did not have the best of experience with that gun. Just so you know, I have not had any of the newer versions of that at all. Um, I've handled them a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, there's no particular interest that I have in them at, you know, this point in my life and concealed carry journey. But uh, uh, from what I've heard, the G2C in particular seems to be, I think, breaking the mold a little bit for Taurus. Uh, I think longevity, uh, reliability, long-term reliability, uh, resiliency of that farm still is not fully tested or realized. Um, but uh, I, I do think it's the best one they've made yet, right? So, um, yeah, I am an advocate of, of going for, for, especially for a gun that you are carrying for self-defense. I prefer to stick with some of the more... I don't know how to say it without being kind of, you know, snooty or whatever, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to go wrong with a Glock or a SIG or uh, a Smith and Wesson, you know, or even an HK or a Walter. Like they've, they've just proven again and again and again that they're good, that they're, that they're good guns, that they have the manufacturing and engineering capability of making guns that not only are reliable over say a 500 or a thousand round test, but they're reliable for, a long time, right? And uh, so anyway, um, so he's asking about that, right? And he says currently his gun has about 900 rounds through it, which is not a ton. He, and he acknowledges that. And he hasn't had any malfunctions, so that's good. And he, he likes using his gun so much in dry fire. I actually picked up a second one when Taurus was offering a $25 rebate, which brought the cost down to $169 for a stainless slide model or $149 for a black one. That's so, that's so stinking cheap. It's yeah. no wonder people like, you know, like to buy these Taurus G2Cs. Um, so what's unique and what he's trying to get at is, is this an acceptable way of practicing? Um, because it honestly, buying a second Taurus G2C is cheaper than buying a cert pistol at that, at those ridiculous prices. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so he, and he wonders about having almost like a, a dedicated dry fire gun, so say dedicating one of these two Tauruses he has as a sort of dedicated dry fire gun, which is not a bad idea, right? Because you are putting wear and tear on that gun when you're dry firing it. So you could dedicate the one gun to do that purpose and keep your other gun for live fire and carry purposes, right? Um, but he, he goes to so far to, to, to ask like, should I consider welding the chamber shut or trimming the firing pin or welding the pinhole or something like that so he can make it like totally 100% safe? And I would feel like that's a bit of a travesty to just basically destroy a gun <laughs> mm -hmm. to make it safe for a practice like that. It's so much simpler. Uh, Craig is his name, by the way, keeping his full identity secure. I'm trying to pull out my barrel block, which is in my backpack here, and it's stuck. Ah, so much simpler and cheaper to just put a barrel block in it, Craig, and leave it. You don't have to take that bar barrel block out. And as long as that barrel block's in there, the gun's not capable of chambering or firing around, right? So I would keep it simple and just do that. 
and you still have a second working gun in case in case that's important, you know, which I, I think is not a bad idea. So that would be my recommendation. Uh, Matt, other thoughts from you? No, totally. I, I was thinking the whole time you were talking about the barrel block, such an awesome and simple device. It's like 10 bucks and it slides, if you're not familiar, it's, it's a polymer uh, chamber or a caliber specific uh, device that has like a long uh, stick attached to it. So it slides into your barrel and uh, it prevents any, any round from being chambered. And you can also put a, they come with mag blocks. So you put them in, in your magazine. So even then you can't, um, you can't, you can't um, fill it up with, with rounds with that, with that magazine block. Plus it, it allows the slide to go forward. It won't lock the slide to the rear uh, like it would on an empty magazine. So if you're dry firing, those two things are, are awesome. And it sticks out from the barrel. So you know, you can see at a glance that you know that uh, it is clear. You don't have to like open it up or, or anything like that. So uh, barrel blocks, awesome. I, I love that device. Yep. Yep. Agreed. And as far as like buying a budget gun, um, I, I just, just to kind of to throw this out there as well. You know, there's so many good options out there. Honestly, you can buy a first generation Smith and Wesson shield these days for, uh, like 250 bucks. That's honestly, as far as proven reliability and long-term reliability and, 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 uh, durability, the shield, I mean, is proven. All right. So for like another 75 to a hundred bucks, you get honestly, in my opinion, like 10 times the gun, just, just that, that reassurance that, uh, the, the shield has been around for, gosh, a while now and has just proven to be a really solid platform. Maybe give the G2C a few more years. I don't know. But, you know, everybody's familiar with the phrase, you get what you pay for. And even if the G2C is, as it appears to be a a decent, you know, it's the best small Taurus gun, you know, that I've seen yet. Um, But still, like, honestly, are you going to say, that you trying to say this it's hard to say you're you're buying a really high quality gun right uh when you're only paying 150 bucks for the gun right like just go buy something that is proven it's kind of my opinion right and there's some good options out there you can even buy secondhand glocks for like 300 bucks sometimes so there's just a lot of options out there that i would feel a little bit better from like a reliability self-defense standpoint but uh, you know what? You you got to do ultimately what you feel is best is right for you as well. Um, anyway, all right. So next question. This is a question from another, no, not Craig, but Chris. Chris wrote in, he actually wrote in twice, and he basically was talking about this El Paso shooting, right? And shortly after that was the Dayton one as well. And of course, we had this, um, this other shooting too in uh, Odessa, Texas. Um, but, uh, but this one was specific to El Paso. And basically he started off with how is it that in El Paso, Texas, in a Walmart of all places that we didn't have somebody there with a gun that could have stopped or slowed this guy down sooner, right? Before 20 plus people were killed. And that this is a, and he, and he says, we need to talk about this, you know, like this is important. Like, 
what what went wrong here as far as not having armed citizens or armed somebody there on site that could put an end to it before it got out of hand. And I, I think this is a complicated thing. We certainly, you know, can't go too deep in on this for this episode here today, but uh, I don't know. What, what are your first thoughts to a question like that, Matthew? Yeah, it's an awesome question to ask and, and to think about. And um, I think if we're being honest um, you know, there probably were people there. It, it, the, the odds are that there probably was somebody there that was armed. I think the second part of the question is why didn't they intervene? And that's more difficult, right? It, it could be because of a tactical consideration that they couldn't get, get over there in time or, or they just, you know, couldn't take the shot or couldn't maneuver in a way that they could get a shot off. Um, it could be that they were scared and left. Um, it could be that they assessed the situation and said, I have my family with me and that's more important than stopping the shooter. And sometimes I think we, we, we don't want to judge other people um, and say, well, I would have done this and that, and you're a coward. Um, you know, it, it's difficult. I know plenty of people that I respect that, that um, would say almost in every event that they would not engage anybody with a firearm unless they themselves or their family members were being harmed or, or threatened, you know? Um, And so, and I respect these people. I tend to disagree with that um, philosophy, but everybody's different and and you can't, and if we start um, kind of demonizing gun owners and saying, why didn't you do this? um, We may, inadvertently guilt people into thinking that they have to intervene. And that could be just as dangerous when they intervene in situations that they don't really know all the, all the facts and they intervene in situations that they probably shouldn't have and end up shooting somebody that they shouldn't. And so I think it's always going to be that, you know, personal choice and whether what you assess. And uh, I, I, my gut feeling when I read this, this email, I was like, you know, it's an interesting point. And I think that there's probably at least one person there that had a firearm and it would be interesting to see if they would, they would offer, you know, maybe anonymously and say, Hey, this is my considerations and this is why I didn't. And, um, and I think that'd be interesting to kind of get their perspective. Yeah. Now there's a comment here from Delana on, on Bookface, And she says her goal for caring is to protect herself and her family. And, you know, and we've hashed this out. Jacob and I have hashed this out. You and I have hashed this out more, you know, on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. There, There is no harm and there's no shame. Huh. That's a bit ironic. There's no harm, but it, you get what I'm saying. There's no shame and there's nothing wrong with that being your attitude. In fact, that is, in my opinion, the preferable attitude to have for most concealed carriers, right? Uh <sighs> I, I didn't get into carrying a gun initially for to be a superhero, you know, to be the guy that's going to run into the danger and save the world, uh, to be Jack Bauer or James Bond or anything like that. Uh, it was later I got into, into law enforcement and later that I became more and more passionate about uh, helping and protecting and serving others. And, you know, but at the same time, I still have to evaluate uh, and, and I think 
some clarity on this for me is it's situationally dependent, right? Because if I'm in the back of that store and something's going on, not where I am, you know, and I've got my family with me, my number one concern, I'm sorry, everybody else, but my number one concern is get my family out of there safely now, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 has to be my number one concern. That my family comes first, no matter what. Now, if I'm there and my family's not with me, that changes things. Okay, and again, it's it's still situationally dependent. Do I do I think I have the opportunity to take take out the threat? Right? Do I know where the threat is? Do I know where all of the threat is or threats are? right? Because could there be more than one threat? Absolutely, right? If I have unknown variables, then I I need to proceed carefully, right? And maybe I might not feel like based on whatever circumstances that it is realistic for me to try to do anything. And so I need to get the heck out of there. Uh, The better thing for most people is to be focused on carrying that gun for the defense of themselves and their and their and or their family members, right? Now, and and I say this because not everybody's wired to do more than that. Not everybody is capable, really, of doing more than that. You know, you should be familiar with the phrase "stay in your lane." Well, I would prefer, honestly, uh, that. If you are the casual concealed carrier that, um, I'm not telling you what to do, by the way, but if if you're the casual concealed carrier, and what I mean by that is, is you carry occasionally, you just got your permit, you've taken no other training courses. Yeah, you shoot a little, but you're not that hardcore with it. You know, your, your shooting skill is mm, not even maybe average. I don't know what average is. It's hard to say what exactly what that is. Uh, I, you know, it's probably best if you just stay out of the fight, right? Assuming that, and of course this is assuming that I'm there, right? Uh, or Matthew's there or a police officer officer is there. We have to be so careful involving ourselves in situations we don't understand the full picture of, you know, and this is true of any situation and not just talking about active shooter situations. We have to be so careful involving ourselves in situations where we're not the initial first party active participant. Right, because we we may make the wrong judgment call. We may shoot the wrong person. We may shoot when we shouldn't shoot. Right. Well, uh, so anyway, there's just so many factors here, so many variables. Now, it is surprising. I I will I will I will grant Chris this that it is surprising that in El Paso, Texas, of all places, at a Walmart, uh, where we see so many examples of, I I see images all the time of people at well, at least. We're going to see fewer and fewer of these now because of their new policy, but of images of people at Walmart carrying guns openly, generally speaking, right? Um, I'm I'm surprised that somebody wasn't there to do something. Sure, that that's that's fair. Um, I suspect somebody in that store probably was armed, and for whatever reason, chose not to or, or was not able to act. It's entirely possible that because we don't know all the details. We don't know the full extent of the investigation and what it's found. It's entirely possible that there was somebody armed there that before they could act was one of the first ones shot, you know? So uh, I don't know. Chris, I think was upset because he, he feels like 
a lot of people feel that we should be able to, you know, we talk all the time about getting more and more concealed carriers out there. And the more of that we get, you know, that, that would be one of the potential solutions to stopping or limiting the damage from other similar active shooter situations. Okay, so that's implying that, that we get more and more concealed carriers and that more and more concealed carriers are able to act and stop and prevent these things from, from occurring. So that would imply that action is taken. Uh, you know, time will tell. And, you know, and again, I'm not saying that's what you got to do. I, but, but would it be, but I would, I would love to see more active shooters stopped by concealed carriers. It's not like it hasn't happened. Jeez, we have a whole study on our website, concealedcarry.com forward slash active shooter study, I think is the short link that covers the 30 plus instances between the years 2000 or 2001, I think, 2000 or 2001 and 2017, I think it covers 33 or 36 times or something like that, that an armed citizen stops an active shooter. All right. So it just didn't, it didn't work out this time. Yeah. Uh, but we can, we can train a little bit harder, prepare ourselves a little bit more and encourage and inspire more people to carry their guns. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't an armed citizen in that store, in that El, in that El Paso Walmart, I can just about guarantee you just because of statistics <laughs> and the numbers I'm familiar with, there was somebody with a concealed carry permit in that store. Just I can just about guarantee that. Maybe they didn't have their firearm with them. Exactly. Now, whether they were actually carrying their gun or not, that is a question. Mm-hmm. This inspires me to make sure I carry all the time. All right. Not a question. Unless you have any final thoughts on that topic. No. no. Yep. Elke here is posted, by the way, an article. This is a great article. And, and I'm familiar with this article. Uh, and I agree with its premise. And this is an article written by Claude uh, Werner, who writes at tacticalprofessor.wordpress.com. And the title of the article is The Downsides of Intervention. I'll try to make sure I include that in the show notes. That is a good article. And I agree, right? So anyway, and basically it says, yeah, we should be really careful about getting involved. Um, I did want to address one thing really quick. Let's see. Somebody asked a little bit, and I just, I, I saw it and I meant to go back to it and I forgot, but it was about the ammunition question, the self-defense ammo, and what to do in a situation where you're in an apartment with shared walls and stuff like that. And the answer for that is there's actually not a whole lot we can do, uh, to be honest with you, uh, because most projectiles are going to penetrate enough to go through walls that are going to pose potentially our neighbor's problems. That's just the reality of living in an apartment. That's up, that's down, that's side to side. Okay. You have neighbors above you, below you, side to side, whatever. Uh, Floors, ceilings, uh, walls. I mean, most projectiles in modern handguns or firearms are going to penetrate at least one of those walls and probably more like two or three. Sometimes, so, so someone might be wondering or thinking, well, I'll go with a, a shotgun with a, you know, with small shot in it. And that's not necessarily the best move either. Okay. And honestly, those are still going to penetrate usually two walls. All right. So basically it comes down to train, 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 don't miss. How about that? Use a good quality hollow point round and don't miss. Uh, 
Um, actually, I'm going to go to this one next. That's a deep topic, and I think we're, we might cut it a little bit short. So we did promise to cover this one, uh, at least according to the description of the episode I wrote up. Question about carrying an IFAC for trauma care. Uh, this individual says he's, that we've convinced him to do so. Awesome. I think it's a good, good idea. And he says he's loaded one up on his ankle starting today. He had a thought after he put it on. What do you do if you wear shorts? Leave it on visible? I probably wouldn't. Carry the IFAC in a bag? Thought one of you might have some insight. All right. So good question. So just generally how to carry an IFAC, an individual first aid kit, and by definition, this should include a couple things at least, at the very minimum. Number one, at least should carry a tourniquet and a good quality one. I recommend a cat tourniquet, a um, soft tee wide tourniquet. All right. There's a couple others, but the, I, I really like those two, preferably, preferably. That would be an absolute minimum, first thing. Then you might have some chest seals. You might have some uh, hemostatic products of some sort. I like hemostatic gauze because you can pack it into a wound and it's got hemostatic agents that are going to help clot the blood. Uh, you should have some gloves to protect you from other people's body, bodily fluids. And I like a good compression bandage too. All right. So, so that would be a basic IFAC. How to carry it. Matthew, what are your thoughts first? Yeah. I mean, obviously the ankle cuff is probably great um, for 95% of the time. Um, and wilderness tacticals probably makes, and I think I've mentioned this on a couple other shows and I know you carry in a wilderness tactical ankle cuff. It's the most comfortable and it's probably the best one. I don't know. It's the best. I haven't tried all the other ones, but it's definitely very good. Um, it's a great one. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about in shorts, obviously some people want to wear shorts. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't live in Ohio, you probably have more opportunity to wear shorts. Um, but yeah, wear cargo shorts and they have cargo um, IFAC. So cargo pocket IFACs that that hold the gear up in your pocket uh, of a cargo pocket. And so it's not all mixing around and flopping around in there. So it's similar to any other, you know, ankle, ankle holster or whatnot. Um, but it, it, it goes in specifically for a, uh, a cargo pocket. And that'd be an awesome solution for most of the time when you're wearing shorts. Yep. So wilderness tactical one. Great. So if you're carrying shorts, uh, I mean, so there's obviously some other options. Now here's the, here's the thing on my person today. I do not have my ankle IFAC with me, but I do have in a pocket on my pants, a tourniquet. All right. So this is a soft T wide tourniquet that I've got on me, on my person. What I have near me. All right. And let's, let's keep this in perspective, by the way, when, when we are dealing with major trauma, there's a priority of things that must be taken care of. And the first and most important thing is major blood hemorrhaging right? Because if we can't keep blood in the body, it doesn't matter how good they're breathing. It doesn't matter how well, you know, how awake and aware they are. If we don't keep blood in the body, all those other things will come to a stop, right? Now, why is a tourniquet the first thing? I mean, a tourniquet is only able to be used on a limb, right? An arm, a leg. Are there other places a person could be shot? 
that, you know, that would include arterial bleeding that this wouldn't do any good on? Of course there are, right? We could be shot right in the groin and sever a femoral artery right there at the top of the leg and you would be hard pressed to get it. You wouldn't be able to use a tourniquet, right? So this wouldn't do any good in that situation. But this is a very simple tool and it's a very effective tool on the things that where it can be used that's going to stop a lot of hemorrhaging, right? So, so it starts with a tourniquet. Probably the second most important thing, in my opinion, would be hemostatic products like a quick, cl- quick clot or Celox Rapid or there's, a couple, there's one or two others out there as well. And I like the gauze form because you might have an arterial wound in a critical junction like the groin and you, you, may, you may just be able to stuff that, that gauze in there and put a lot of pressure on it and try to get things to clot. At the end of the day, I mean, hopefully we're not too far from emergency services to where I mean, if we can keep them from bleeding out for five, 10 minutes, there's a good chance we can, we can get them to where they can get the proper help they need, right? And we can save their life. Um, now, airway is also important, but it's not as, you know, if, again, if we don't have bleeding stopped, then airway doesn't matter. That's why chest seals, if you can carry them, great. Now, someone commented here, vented chest seals. It's, sorry, that's a given in my world. Uh, you sh- if you're carrying a chest seal, it should be a vented chest seal. Actually, at the very least, you should have one vented. Uh, and if you want to have, if you have more than one, quite often they come in pairs of two. You should at least have one vented and maybe one non-vented one. But if you have two vented ones, fine, like whatever, right? If, if you have one gunshot wound, it penetrates the chest, goes for the, from the front through the back. Uh, you'd want to put your vented one on one of those holes and your non-vented one on the other, right? Anyway, so um, stopping the bleeding, that's why the Stop the Bleed campaign has been so you know, pushed so heavily because it's just it's that important. All right, so at the very least, have a tourniquet on you. And there are, there are options. And this is not that big and it's not that difficult to carry on you. You could throw it in a back pocket. You could throw it in a side pocket. You can throw it in a front pocket. You can throw it in your purse, ladies, if you, assuming you keep that with you wherever you are. And then, so on days I don't carry my IFAC on my person, I've got my backpack with a much, and this is what's great. This, this whole bottom section is a first aid kit. And it is an IFAC, but it's an expanded IFAC. It's got even more. And I have a second tourniquet in here. So on top of the one I already have on me, and then I've got all kinds of goodies in there. So, and my backpack is generally close to me. Now, I like having the tourniquet on my person because it is on me and it's with me because my backpack might be a few seconds away or a minute away. If this was a a wound that occurred on myself, I don't maybe have 30 seconds even to get to where my backpack is, right? So I can get this tourniquet on me now, fast, right? Anyway, so uh, cargo cargo uh, pockets on a set of shorts or something, that'd be another place you can carry an IFAC. Um, if you wear cargo pants, obviously you have cargo pockets for that. If you have a jacket, maybe you have a pocket, you can throw a, a tourniquet and maybe even a couple other things in that pocket. So there's lots of opportunities here. You just got to find what works for you. I think it was Luke that sent us this question. Um, I would just say at the very least, find a way to carry a tourniquet. All right. And then, uh, then you can explore all these other options too, for those times where you can't make your ankle IFAC work. 
Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I did have a couple other questions that I had printed out here, but just due to time, we'll save those perhaps for another episode. Now, all these questions I think that I've covered today and that I still have here in the stack, we've responded to those emails. So those individuals have already gotten answers from us, but uh, these became good you know, content uh, pieces for talking about with all of you as well. There is one that we dropped the ball on, Riley. And, What's that? Uh, I, it's from Michael Lovett. He sent it to us a while ago. And, and um, when we don't have time to cover it today, Michael, but I promise you, I'll be sending you a response. Um, uh, he, he asked a question about that show, What Would You Do? Um, and wanted to get some, some feedback from us. So maybe we'll cover that on a, another episode on its own. Or, uh, but at the very least, I will send you a, a response, Michael. Sorry for, for not getting back to you sooner. I am looking for that right now but thanks uh for the reminder on that and uh we since since i have announced that we will do listener questions on the third i think i think we're just going to go with the third tuesday of the month episode uh we will try to make sure we cover that one michael in that next episode sweet okay all righty so that brings us to a close here yet again, this 350th episode. Hopefully there was something of value here for you today. Uh, we strive to bring value to every episode of the podcast. Sometimes we hit, sometimes we miss, and it's true of our shooting as well, but we always try to get better. Uh, to wrap it up here, just a reminder to go to the concealedcarry.com online store. That, 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 uh, that store keeps us in business. Okay. We don't really make a lot of money from doing a podcast. I don't know if you figured that one out or not. <laughs> we do have a couple of paying advertisers. All right. But they don't support everything we do. Not even close. Uh, so mostly because of all of you loyal customers and listeners that support us by buying product through our store and through some of the specials that we do from the Guardian Nation membership that we offer as well. That's what keeps us a business, allows us to continue doing these things and hopefully bringing to you the best content uh, out there as it relates to concealed carry. We're super, super passionate about helping you guys and gals, concealed carriers, be the best concealed carriers you can be, to have the best information available, to get the best access to training and information possible. And that's what we strive to do. All right, so concealedcarry.com online store. Uh, again, this week we're featuring the Maglula Uplula product, as well as the Glock e-trainer for those of you that are Glock owners. This would be great and really enhance your dry fire practice. So check those out or anything else that might suit your fancy out of the oh, 700 plus products or so that we have on the store today, concealedcarry.com. And you can go straight to it by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash shop. Well, with that, it is time to wrap it up. Matthew, thanks for being here and a part of this episode with me here today. Thank you, sir. And thank you for the listeners who sent in emails because we wouldn't have had a we wouldn't have had a show to do. So yep. and again, you. if you want to contact us and send questions to us, you can do so by emailing podcast at concealedcarry.com. And you can also follow our social media. Again, most of our social media platforms, we have the 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 tag at concealed carry inc which is our official company name, Concealed Carry Inc., um, also known as ConcealedCarry.com. All right, we're going to let you go with that a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. 
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.